Hello, everyone. This is John Byrne with Poets and Quants. Welcome to Business Casual, our weekly podcast with my co-host, Caroline D.R.D. Edwards, the co-founder of Fortuna Admissions and the former director of admissions at NCIAD, and Maria Wickvilla, the founder of Applicant Lab. We're going to talk about two things today. One is the rather dramatic decline in international students in U.S. business schools during the Trump era. Uh, we have some new data on that that we just published at Poets and Quants. And frankly, in many cases, it's, it's pretty shocking. The other thing we want to talk about is sort of the favored schools of the MBB. Each of the major global consulting companies, McKinsey, Bain, and BCG, publish a list of their target schools for programs that they have for admits. So these are pre-MBA summer experiences where McKinsey, Bain, BCG get to know, touch, and potentially recruit the newest MBA students who have yet to even hit campus. But what's interesting is that they've limited this program to a list of target schools. McKinsey has 17, BCG has 28, and Bain has 40. We're going to talk about that, what schools they are, what you can learn from the list. But first, let's talk a little bit about the the decline of international students in the elite business schools. Our latest analysis shows that one of the more dramatic declines occurred at the UNC's Chapel Hill Keenan Flagler Business School, which actually lost more than 57% of its international MBA enrollment from 2017 to 2020. Wharton, by the way, Trump's alma mater, lost 44% of all of its foreign MBA students, going from 32.4% in 2017 to just 19% this fall. Those are dramatic declines, and they're caused largely by all the anti-immigration rhetoric that has come out of the Trump administration, restrictions on visas, difficulty of foreign students getting in and out of the country, and of course, in the last year, the pandemic, which caused uh, major travel restrictions and other limitations on the ability of international students to come to the U.S. and actually study. Caroline, what do you make of this? You, you are our true internationalist. <laughs> How has this hurt the MBA experience? Well, I, I think it's a huge loss for the schools and a huge loss for the students. I guess an MBA program is probably the degree where learning from your classmates is, is the most, you know, it's more important than any other program, right? So that collective learning experience and and learning from your peers and, and you know, students will often joke that they learn more from their, their, their classmates than from the faculty, right? Because you have just incredibly smart and uh, smart classmates who have um, very rich professional experience from a lot of different backgrounds. And, and a big part of the, uh, the program is, and what the faculty are looking to do is facilitate that discussion and facilitate that peer-to-peer -peer learning. And so if you don't have that international perspective, it's, it's a huge loss for everybody. And so, you know, I, I'm sure the faculty have, have felt that and, and the schools have, um, uh, you know, been, felt, been aware that they've missed out over the last few years. And I'm sure that, you know, they're scrambling to, to regain ground there because, you know, it, it can take some time to build up again because it's not just, you know, your current generation and sort of a lost generation of international students for, for those few years 
those are people who are not then going back to India and China and the UK and Brazil and, you know, raising the brand awareness and spreading the word about how fantastic their, their business school experience was. So, so it has, you know, it, it has a, a longer term impact as well. It's not just limited to, to those four years. That's really true. And Maria, I, I, I think that, you know, at, a, at the graduate level where you're more mature and you're going back, I think you're more open to having more deeper engagement with people who are unlike you. You know, when you're an undergrad, you may have international exposure as well, but you may not be mature enough to learn how valuable that in fact would be. Yeah, I agree. I I think that, I mean, the reason that most people go to an MBA program is to get better at business. And business is, it's not only business school is the one place where you learn mostly from your peers, but the practice of business as a career is one in which the international aspect is becoming more and more important every day, right? If I go to law school, even if I have a classmate from, you know, Nigeria, that's cool, but it's not like I can't practice law both in California and Nigeria at the same time. But if I go into the business world, I can have a business that operates in California and also expands into Nigeria. So I think that that it's not just from the learning perspective, but also later in your career, most businesses today, the ones that are super successful are those that are able to grow beyond their initial country footprint and expand into multiple markets. And so as a business person in the future, it behooves you to know how to do business across cultures. And so having classmates uh, and learning from them, not just during the program, but having them in your alumni network after the program that you can reach out to and say, hey, I'm uh, thinking of growing my business in China. You're in China. What should I know? What should I avoid? Uh, that's super valuable. It's it's not just, I know sometimes people think that, oh, diversity is this sort of politically correct word that gets thrown around just to, just to be popular, but it, it's not. It's legitimately beneficial, especially in something like business for you to know people all over the world. And the other point of this is that, you know, the, the international students just didn't disappear. Uh, many of them went, went elsewhere or, or postponed their graduate education. And more often than not, where they went were very good schools in Canada and in Europe in particular. Mm-hmm. So these schools have been the beneficiary mm-hmm. of the diminishment of interest in coming to the U.S. for an MBA. And to that extent, when they graduate, as Caroline pointed out, they're going to become ambassadors to their schools in their home countries. Mm. And so there are consequences that are that are longer term that suggest that the U.S. schools will have much more difficulty to recapture what it lost as a result of three, four years of decline. And I have to say, you know, these declines actually shocked me when you really look at the numbers hard, you know, 10 of the top 25 schools uh, lost 20% or more of their international enrollments. And that's quite dramatic. Yeah, I know it's been exacerbated by the pandemic, but this has been a a trend that's really uh, hurt the schools, and particularly because, you know, for for years before, a decline in domestic applicants in the U.S. was kind of covered up and offset by increases in international applicants. When international applicants went away, those declines in enrollment and in the applicant pool became far more dramatic. And now the numbers show just how it's really diminished the sense of 
learning that you get from having incredibly diverse viewpoints, different cultures, different people, different backgrounds in a classroom. So it's, it's an important thing. Now, the other issue here is we know, based on anecdotal evidence at least, and, and some actual factual evidence from admission directors that I've spoken to, that the big increases in ap- applications this past year have seen a real big swelling from uh, international prospective students. So that's the plus side, I guess. And Caroline, are you seeing that in your consulting work? Yes, definitely. For sure, there was hesitancy from international students, from, from some candidates to apply to the US. And, and you know, I, I heard from schools such as INSEAD how, you know, gratified they were to receive those additional applications, not just from international students who were no longer interested in applying to the US and were applying there, but also from America, you know, US-based candidates whether they were American citizens or international in the US and were looking to to um, apply elsewhere. So for sure, you know, that that is starting to change. And you know, particularly for round two, following the election, there has been an upswing in, in, you know, and probably some pent up demands that is now coming through, as you said, some people might have gone elsewhere, but some people might have just delayed applying, right? And, and they were waiting to see what would happen in the US and, and we're waiting to see if the environment would change. And so, so certainly some of those people have now submitted applications in round two. So, so you know, I, I think things will start to turn around. So, you know, the, it, it, will, it will improve gradually over time. I mean, one additional aspect of this, of course, is, you know, the loss for the US job market, right? I mean, the US benefits tremendously from being a magnet for international talent. Absolutely. And that is a huge boost to the U.S. economy and to firms that are looking to attract top talent. And so, you know, those percentage drops that, that you were talking about, you know, over those years, that those are people who are probably, you know, pursuing professional opportunities elsewhere and, and not in the U.S. So, you know, definitely an impact on, on um, the U.S. economy as well as, um, you know, beyond the schools themselves. What do you make, Maria, of the 44% decline in international MBA students at Wharton over the past three years. I mean, for a school of Wharton's, that is incredibly dramatic. And what's so interesting about it is that Columbia, not all that far away in New York from uh, Mm. Philadelphia, where Wharton is located, actually gained slightly. It was one of three schools in the top 25 that actually avoided losses. Why do you think Trump's alma mater fell so deeply? Well, I mean, yeah, I think one of the fascinating things about this article, when you see when you see these numbers lined up against each other, is just how much variation there is from school to school. They're really, yeah. it's hard to see a rhyme or reason to it. I, I, you know, I, I wonder if Trump's affiliation with Wharton. I mean, he trumpeted all the time that he was a graduate of Wharton and Wharton and Wharton. And I, I wonder if, you know, guilt by association. I wonder if if their brand was actually tarnished by that. I don't I don't know how much the Philadelphia location like I noticed that the two schools in New York City, I believe, didn't have this big dramatic drop. And maybe maybe internationals are thinking, okay, well, if I go to a school in a major metropolitan area, there may be more job opportunities. You know, maybe they were less willing to take a risk on a school located, say, in North Carolina. But and yet and yet that that hypothesis doesn't fully hold true either, because then we look at Tuck and Tuck had a 14 percent decline which in the in the list was not actually that 
that huge of a, of a decrease. And, and I would think of Tuck as being probably one of the most remote, least cosmopolitan, least That's urban true. campuses out there. So, yeah, I, I wonder if part of it was sort of guilt by association with Trump. But I, I who knows, right? It's It's really fascinating. I'd love to I wonder if someone's going to do a survey or something to ask international still, like, why didn't you apply to get That's to the bottom fascinating. of it? You know, and, and news does travel fast today, obviously. When there was uh, the death in uh, Charlottesville, Virginia, as a result of the demonstration there by right-wing extremists and Nazi sympathizers, Darden's applications fell dramatically. And Maria, weren't you just telling me uh, before the call here on a candidate who's looking at USC Marshall School and wondering if the big admissions scandal at the university has tarnished the image of the business school? Right. No, exactly. Yeah. And and I, I think that I, I don't think that it does tarnish the, bus- the business school. I think they're very different. <laughs> I don't I don't think that one necessarily impacts the other, but yeah, to the extent that, you know, I think students are very cognizant of the brands that they are about to pay to attend. They want to make sure that the their brand is going to be one that endures and that they don't graduate from a program that today is flying high but tomorrow might be embarrassed. So yeah, it's it's real it's really interesting to me how sometimes students think about these things. But it does give you a sense of the power of negative news. Obviously, the fact that Trump got his undergraduate degree from Wharton does not take anything away from the quality of of their MBA program or, frankly, their overall reputation over the years. I mean, some people may think less of Wharton for having uh, Trump as a student but and a graduate. And I know the professors there wanted his diploma withdrawn, but it doesn't really impact your employment prospects, your career outcomes, the quality of the education, the superb professors who teach in those classrooms, or the great students you're going to come in contact with. Same thing uh, with Darden. You know, a weird anomalous event of demonstration that actually occurred there because the community is so progressive isn't going to impact the quality of your MBA degree at the Darden School. And yet these things do, you know, uh, put waves in the ocean that creates disturbances that that makes people not apply and not go when they're accepted. Yes, it's interesting, isn't it? The sort of spillover effects of bad PR that has absolutely nothing to do with the business school, but, you know, does influence people's perceptions. And, And I'm sure, you know, great source of frustration for the schools, right? I mean, I'm sure they were cringing at Wharton every time Trump mentioned his relationship and how often it was brought up in in the media. Um, you know, I, I'm sure it was a great source of frustration for them. And as you say, you know, it's it, it's unfortunate because it has nothing to do with the the school that it, that it is today and the experience that you will get you you will have there. So I'm sure that they are delighted to move on from those times. <laughs> Me too. Well, the other thing we wanted to talk about is, you know, what are the favorite hunting grounds of the MBB? And obviously, all mainstream recruiters of MBA talent have a preferred list of business schools to recruit from. They may hire MBAs from a broader range of schools, but they may be they're more likely to be less invested in these schools that are not on the target list. So, 
whether you go to campus, how often you go to campus, how many information sessions and, and whining and dining you do, how many partners you send, how many people you interview and ultimately recruit, whether or not you're on that list makes a big difference. And all these companies jealously list, in part, they don't want to embarrass schools that uh, they may hire from, uh, but don't actively and aggressively recruit and build relationships with uh, because they can't do it with everybody. But there's a tip-off to what schools are favored by McKinsey, Bain, and BCG, three of the most prominent recruiters of MBAs and longtime recruiters who offer some of the most lucrative paying jobs and the most desirable jobs to many elite MBAs. And the payoff comes in lists that each of these firms has published on their website. Now, each of these companies has a pre-MBA summer experience, and they limit uh, the eligibility for these programs to admits from only a certain number of schools. So if, you, if you're admitted to a, a business school that's not on the list, you can't even apply or go to the program. And that's a tip-off that they are they have a, a, a deeper, long-standing relationship with these schools, and they obviously prefer MBAs from them. What's interesting about the three lists, and you can see all of them on Poets and Quants, is McKinsey has only 17 schools, BCG has 28, and Bain has 40. Above and beyond the size is who's on the list. Now, Maria, you made a really interesting observation of how the list can be helpful to applicants, which is to actually single out schools that many applicants might overlook. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, last week when we were talking about the rankings and our sort of how much we hate the rankings, in part (laughs) because students tend to get obsessed with them and they sort of think that it's this linear outcome where a school that's ranked number two is four times better than a school ranked number eight. I don't know. Like there's this idea that that there's this huge difference in terms of career outcomes, especially for these larger corporations. And the fact is that you can get a great job. I, I think this list is in some ways encouraging because especially on the, the Bain list, which is the largest one. I mean, there are many schools there that are surprising, right? University of, of uh, Texas at Dallas, right? The Jindal School of Management and the Marriott School of Business, for example, at BYU. These are schools that, you know, I I think sometimes some people might, if they're just only looking at, say, the U.S. news rankings, they might say like, oh, well, that school is ranked whatever, and I'm not going to have any opportunities if I go there. But what these lists prove is that, in fact, you don't have to go to a top three or a top five school. If you knock it out of the park, uh, if you really train well for those case interviews, you can get a job at these elite firms from a wide variety of schools. So I, I would hope that seeing this list in some ways can help allay some concerns or some stress that that people feel. And I know anecdotally, this also applies to companies like Amazon, for example. A lot of people want to work at an Amazon, and Amazon also recruits from a ton of schools. You don't have to go to Sloan or Stanford or one of these top five, top 10 schools to get a great job after business school. And so I, I, I like that this will, I, I hope that this will make people not feel like it's such a life or death career, a career life or death decision. That's really, that's the, such a good point because, you know, some of these schools are honestly, because I visited all, all of them <laughs> and I know the MBA programs well. I've got to say some of them are my favorite MBA programs. Minnesota's Carlson School of Management is on the BCG list, as is Washington University and the University of uh, Toronto's Rotman School of Management. 
there, there are a lot of schools that hover near the end of the top 25 rankings, like an Emory or Rice or Vanderbilt or Georgetown that are on the BCG list. And these are really great schools. The other interesting thing about these lists, frankly, is that only Bain has what I would consider to be a truly global list. There's not a single non-U.S. school on the McKinsey list. There's only one non-U.S. school, and it happens to be in Canada on the BCG list. But on Bain's list, you have all of really excellent schools in Europe, including obviously NCAD, London, HSA, Paris, IESE Business School, ISADE in Spain as well, Bocconi in Italy. What do you what do you make of the fact, Caroline, that McKinsey and BCG don't even have these schools on their list? Well, they're still recruiting heavily from yes, those other they schools. Are. Right. So this is for a specific summer program, I think. Program. Mm-hmm. Um, but I believe, I mean, it's certainly until, uh, unless it's changed, but up until very recently, McKinsey recruited more graduates from INSEAD than any other school in the world. And, and they're recruiting a lot of the international yes. programs. So it's a little bit misleading that the, these, these lists are purely focused on the US because this may be just a specific channel that they're using with the US schools, but they are certainly working extensively with international schools as well. And and recruiting for for offices all over the world from the international schools. And one of the reasons that McKinsey recruits so much at a school like INSEAD is because they are recruiting for all of their offices around the world, right? They love going to London Business School and INSEAD because they they have fantastic candidates that they can place, you know, literally in all all of their offices around the world, whereas a lot of the U.S. students are focused on staying in the U.S., and so the, the recruitment is a bit more locally focused there. But, uh, you know, it's, it's a great point that it is a long list of schools. And, and, you know, in some ways, it may be easier for a student to stand out when they're applying to, to these firms from schools that are not in the top five or top ten, right? True. I mean, if you're applying to McKinsey, Bain, or BCG, and, and you're at, you know, at a top five school, You'll have a lot of your classmates replying as well, and they will be equally, if not more brilliant than you. They'll, they'll probably have, you know, stellar academic statistics, which is also something that these firms are looking at, right? They look at your GMAT and, 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 and different elements to, to indicate your, your analytical ability. So it might actually be in, in some ways easier to stand out from, from some of the schools further down the list. Yeah, exactly. That's a really good point because... You know, all the people out there who basically say Harvard, Stanford, or bust should be, you know, depending on their circumstances, uh, rethinking that and opening up their their minds to a broader range of uh, opportunities and, and programs because you can really achieve your professional dream at a large number of schools. You don't only have to go to Harvard, Stanford, Wharton, London, or INSEAD to do that. And uh, again and again, it's proven based on the data. And these lists kind of uh, help that. To what, to what extent is this a stamp of approval of some kind? Maria? I mean, I think in a, in a world in which, at least for now, there, there are limited human resources available to, you know, if they opened it up to every school in the world, they would probably be inundated with a zillion applications. So to the extent that they have to narrow it down somehow, if a school is on that list, that at least means, I would guess that it means that they have hired someone from that school in the past and that person was a high performer. And therefore, 
that person or maybe obviously multiple people. And so that probably gave the firm some level of comfort with hiring people from that program. Or they maybe they examined the curriculum and they they felt that it was rigorous enough uh, for their graduates to meet the demands of that career. So I, I think it is sort of an unofficial stamp of approval, definitely, because it, it shows that they're putting the effort, they're willing to consider people from those programs, which means at some point a human being has to take his or her time <laughs> to review that person's candidacy uh, and decide whether or not to let them into the summer program. So I, I think it is an, uh, an indirect seal of approval. Yeah. And then then there are, as you point out, I mean, some really surprising uh, schools on, on the list, particularly on the Bain list, which is uh, more expansive. Southern Methodist University's Cox School of Business, which, you know, has never really been a top 25 program and, you know, may is sort of in the bottom half of the top 50 uh, you wonder, okay, was there a partner from from uh, SMU at Bain who helped put them on the favorite status list? Uh, nothing against Cox. It's a great program, but it's just a surprised uh, school on the list with the likes of a Harvard, a Stanford, a Wharton, a London, an NCAD, Cambridge, Oxford, Wharton, Columbia, and on and on. And, of course, every list has every M7 school. There's no question about that. And that's totally expected. And again, we're not saying that if you go to a, a school that's not on one of these lists, you're not going to get, uh, you have no chance of getting uh, employed by MBB. MBB, each of these firms hires hundreds of MBAs every single year. And they recruit from these schools primarily, but also a number of other schools. And then they accept applicants from schools that they don't actively recruit from. I mean, I've actually heard of people getting hired at McKinsey from an online MBA program at Indiana Kelly. So, you know, it's doable. The odds may be against you. The hurdles may be higher, but it's possible. So, the you know, these lists are really fascinating to look at, though. And, and they do tell you something about uh, what world-class high-performance uh, service firms think of the different business schools and the product that they put on the marketplace. Well, listen, thank you for uh, tuning in. And thank you, Maria. And thank you, Caroline, yet again. We hope you enjoyed this week's podcast. This is John Byrne with Poets and Quants at Business Casual.